I've got zombie hands. Greetings, salutations. It's, as you know by now, the Bitterness and Rage show. I'm Rob, your avatar of bitterness, your symbol of rage. Welcome, everyone, to another steaming pile of audio goodness served up just for you. Got a lot of stuff today. Got the college football playoffs. Going to talk about America's winningest cities, question mark. I got uh, some bad teams getting worse and cheerleaders on the rampage. Um, and Chris Morelli, how could I forget? I'm going to be joined today by my good friend and frequent contributor, Chris Morelli. We always love when Chris is able to join us on the showgram. Uh, but Foist, for those of you that know me, you know that I worry about just about everything. And I've noticed that many, many places especially on the highways and byways of America, have gone to the automatic hand dryer, automatic sinks, automatic everything, automatic paper towels. You know, you have to wave your hands under some sort of sensor, and I presume they pick up on body temperature, motion. I have no idea. But again, as I, I preface this, you know that I worry about everything. I'm I'm ready for the zombie apocalypse. I'm ready for the snow apocalypse. I'm ready for any eclipse, even an eclipse when there's total darkness. And I've noticed recently that my own dove-like hands don't seem to work when I wave them under the sensor. And it's always nice when somebody walks into the bathroom and they see me looking like a total schmuck uh, waving my hands maniacally under the sink, maniacally in front of the hand dryer, and nothing is happening. Waving in front of the little red light to get some paper towels to come out, nothing. And I'm sure more than one person has opened up the bathroom door and then slowly backed out and let the door close as I wave my arms frantically cursing. Why are these things working? What's wrong with my hands? And I've discovered what is wrong with my hands. Because I am very much alive, as you can tell. I think slowly, slowly, glacially even, slowly but surely, I'm turning into a zombie. A zombie. One of the undead. Starting with the hands. Starting with the hands. So, watch out everyone. In a few months, the Bitterness and Rage show will be brought to you live from the grave. I know that that last statement just freaked out my mom. Just kidding, mom. I'm not going anywhere, but I may be a, a zombie. Okay, let's begin Begin with the college football playoffs, which last Sunday almost usurped and preempted the dominance that is the National Football League with its announcement of the four teams that will be fighting it out for the college football playoffs, the, uh, the now not-so-mythical national championship, and ranked in order were Alabama, and then Oregon, and then Florida State, and Ohio State sneaking in. And, and what I want to talk about is not so much a preview of the championship. Um, we can do that some other time. But the whole thing, you know me, I love the conspiracy theory. I love the soft underbelly of sports, having a soft underbelly myself. 
I don't understand, and someone has to explain this to me because I'm, you know, fairly stupid. Just ask most of the students that I have. I don't understand how four teams win. All four of those teams. The the, the and let me preface this by saying a week before, as you know, the the twelve or thirteen person committee ranks the teams every week, and they had the final rankings this past Sunday, which said these four teams are competing for the national championship. And prior to last Saturday's games, last uh, the conference championship games slash last games of the season, you had Alabama, Oregon, TCU, Florida State. Those were your big four. And each of those teams won. Alabama pummeled uh, Missouri, and Oregon pummeled um, Arizona State, I believe, or Arizona, one of the one of the Zonas, and TCU crushed the team they were playing by 52 points, I believe, and Florida State, like it's been doing all year, snuck by an inferior opponent. Now, what I remember from life is that when you win, you're not supposed to lose. You're not supposed to drop down in the rankings after you win. So I don't understand how TCU, after trouncing its opponent, drops out of the top four, and Arizona State, excuse me, Ohio State, which just boat raced Wisconsin, by the way. I mean, it was no contest from a team that was supposed to give them some fight. In their conference championship game, they just housed them by 50-plus points, a shutout even. And I can understand them moving up in the rankings with a performance like that, but there's no space then to move into. You're not supposed to beat your opponents and then drop. So the only explanation I have is that all year there was this facade of fairness and openness and transparency with the committee choosing its, you know, ranking the teams every week. And they finally, the second to last week before the ultimate announcement of who was going to be in the final four, whatever they're calling it, whatever trite and clever name they're going to give this foursome, that it was going to be their choices, Florida State, Oregon, TCU, Alabama, in whatever order they put it in, in the second to last one. And then Saturday, nobody lost. So TV stepped in and said, you guys are great. Thanks for X number of weeks, 11 weeks, 12 weeks, whatever it was, of ranking all these teams. We waited for you to put Ohio State in. You blew it. So now we're going to put Ohio State in. Because there was this groundswell, this drumming for Ohio State to be in the top four, but somebody had to lose. And people want to see, I get the name recognition. Ohio State brings a lot of fans, brings a lot of the dreaded eyeballs, as they say in the biz. The eyeballs to the screen, unlike TCU, which brings virtually nothing to the screen. So I can understand why the the good people at television, that amorphous, unnamed conglomerate we like to call television, wants to put Ohio State in. But you have to explain how TCU wins and keeps winning, and they lose. Oh, and Florida State, which squeezes by an inferior opponent, actually goes up in the rankings. So you can't tell me that the same committee that said TCU is third is now going to say TCU is sixth. That was their final ranking. You can't say that. You can't say it with a, with a straight face. I mean, if they're really watching college football, if they're really the final decider, they've seen Ohio State. Ohio State, since an early loss to Virginia Tech, an ugly loss, has been slowly but surely building a case for itself as one of the top four teams. So why now? Why all of a sudden do you say... Uh, the last 12 weeks, I don't think you're in the top four, but now all of a sudden you are. And 
oddly enough, there's no room for you, so we'll take out the team that crushed its opponent the most as opposed to the team that seems every week to come from behind and barely beat inferior opponents. It makes no sense unless you believe that TV is really the final say. They trot out the committee to make their choices, and then the final say is ultimately up to the television people. And let's face it, we know that, again, these four teams are going to bring more of an audience, but it reeks of unfairness, and it reeks of sloppiness. I mean, why were you? Why allow TCU to be third and let them think that all they have to do to to get into the final four is to win, and they win and win convincingly, and they drop out. And let's take a look, closer look at the the bracket. It's going to be Alabama versus Ohio State, which will be huge numbers, and Oregon versus Florida State, which will have mild to mild numbers, but TV is trying to build a showdown between Alabama and Florida State, two teams that are loathed universally outside of Tallahassee and outside of Alabama, outside of the entire state, loathed. And when you loathe teams, you just want to see them lose. So these are the teams, if TV has its way, somehow, some way, Florida State and Alabama will meet in the national championship game, and it will be huge numbers. Also, I believe that TV is setting the stage and pleading its case with the NCAA to go to more teams. Why not create instant controversy in year one? And what? how do you solve that? If you go to six teams or eight teams, then the teams that feel shafted this year, if we're in the same boat, the same sinking Titanic-like ship next year, then... And only then can you say, well, let's have a playoff, and that will solve all the problems. Now let's have a playoff. Let's extend the playoffs, and that will solve all of the problems. So maybe TV was just sort of building its case from day one for extending the playoffs beyond the four. Um, but like most sports organizations do, they did it mighty clunkily. Big-time clunkage. Okay, that's enough of that Michigas. Uh, speaking of Michigas, um, USA Today and... Their For the Win website um, ranked the winningest sports cities in North America. And the winningest city by winning percentage is Portland at 67.7%. And the losingest city, the team that comes in last on this scale, and we're going to get to how they rank these teams in a moment. And I hate lists. My hatred for lists abounds, but... I just want to talk about the absurdity of this one. Uh, the losing a city is Charlotte at 29.8%. My problem with this list is as follows, that they rank teams that had to have at least two major sports closely associated with the metropolitan area. Now, I consider major sports to be the football, the basketball, the hockey, and the baseball, and I have to put the in front of all the sports. So, Major League Baseball, NBA, NFL, NHL. And I think if you're going to rank cities by winning percentage, you need to say not two, but three to make this a more legitimate list. Three of the major sports. Now, they include uh, Major League Soccer, and, and don't don't you know send me all kinds of hate mail uh, about why I don't like soccer and what a hater I am. Uh, but I believe that the major sports, the big four, and many people will agree with me, and this is not a soccer bashing thing, but the big four don't include Major League Soccer. It's NFL, NBA, Major League Baseball, NHL. If you are going 
and only if, if you are going to rank cities by winning percentage as USA Today wants to do, I've recalculated it. So I'll give you the winning percentages uh, or the, the, the list of teams. If you're going to do this, you have to do it by teams that have at least three, not just two, but three major sports. Otherwise, it seems unfair. So uh, the first, the winning is be Pittsburgh, hockey, baseball, football, and then Cleveland. Cleveland. And I'm not skipping a whole lot of a whole lot of cities here. Cleveland with their basketball, their football, and their basketball team. Basketball, football, baseball. I think I said basketball twice. I don't know. Hey, that's live entertainment, folks. Uh, get used to it. So Cleveland's number two. They've got three, uh, three major sports. Then Toronto of all cities, St. Louis, Houston, Dallas, San Francisco, Los Angeles, and Boston. And then Atlanta rounds out the top ten. The city that comes in 11th on the list is Washington, D.C. Uh, let me tell you this thing, folks. As a fan of Washington, D.C. sports, I see the winning percentage. That's fine. But um, we're talking about winning percentages, thankfully, and not um, choke jobs. Because if USA Today were to rank the cities that had the least heart in crunch time, who seemed to choke the most often, we'd be we. The entire D.C. area would be uh, number one. So a little bit of list bashing, as I like to do. USA Today, if you're going to rank cities by winning percentage, you really need to rank them with more than just two major sports, and one of them is allowed to be Major League Soccer. I am pleased, as always, to have me to join me here on the as-yet-unsponsored Beardness and Rage Show hotline, my good friend and now frequent contributor, the managing editor of the Center County Gazette in Pennsylvania, Chris Morelli, and also a recent addition to the Penn State University faculty. Uh, welcome, Chris. Thanks for being on with me tonight. Thanks for having me. Always, always good to be on. And uh, before we start, we should probably tell people that, uh, not to as an advertisement, but a major electronics realtor. Uh, you are currently camped out in their parking lot. So to the millions of people that are listening tonight, if you hear a fire truck or other police and rescue vehicle, please don't panic. Okay? Um, so I, I have a few things that I wanted to talk about um, that have come up in the recent couple weeks. I want to start with the college football playoffs, which for some bizarre reason uh, they chose the teams and we're waiting, I think, what, six, seven months until the first playoff game? <laughs> I, um, I, was, I said earlier in the show that it seems to me that, that TV has a big, big part um, of choosing the teams, at least the final choice. This 12-person committee or 13-person committee made their choices all year round and then, or all season long, and then all of a sudden the top four teams win and TCU, which was third, after crushing their opponent, drops down to sixth and Ohio State jumps into their place. Um, now, full disclosure, you and I, of course, have uh, Big Ten animosity towards Ohio State, but... Does something smell a little fishy to you about Ohio State suddenly leapfrogging all four teams that won to join to the top yeah. four? Yeah, it was. I thought it was a little strange. I think what happened, uh, to be honest with you, was they looked at, I don't know if they looked at the whole body of work, but what they did do was they looked at that last week, that championship game, and it certainly was impressive, the fact that, uh, you know, Wisconsin was a three-and-a-half-point favorite in that game, and Ohio State blew the doors off them to the tune of 59 to nothing. So I think a lot of folks, uh, you know, looked at that and were just kind of uh, blown away, shocked, surprised. I think we're getting one of our 
what we just talked about, one of the ambulances. All right. In the background here. All right. But um, <laughs> I, I, I'm not sure what's going on here tonight, but there's a lot of activity. It's the holidays. In and around, <laughs> around State College. Right. But to answer your question, no, I think the Ohio State thing, um, I think that the voters, the committee was impre- really impressed with that, that win over Wisconsin and maybe put too much stock into that. Right. But you're right. To drop a team out uh, seems unfair. And, and I don't know. I don't know what the solution is, though. What What do you do? Do you expand the field? Do you um, Do you not reveal the rankings till the very last week? Right. It, it, it's It's a fine line they're walking. I but mean, I, I, I will say, I think the Final Four is, is fairly intriguing. Right. I mean, I, I agree. I mean, I like the matchups, and I think they're on course, as I said, for a uh, Florida State Alabama championship. Two teams that are universally loathed, um, which means more eyeballs to the screen. And perhaps this whole, I'll put this in quotes, controversy over Ohio State being in the top four is just fueling um, more um, support, I guess, for in a six or an eight team playoff. Um, and maybe that's what they wanted all along. But the whole thing just seems. A little odd. You're not supposed to fall when you win. You're supposed to stay where you are or go up. So who knows? I mean, yes, it's very intriguing, but it stinks. <laughs> I mean, I'll be yeah. honest with you. It smells. It smells funny. Well, and as you mentioned, there are a lot of you know there are a lot of people who obviously here in, in Pennsylvania hate Ohio State, right? Uh, and universally, Alabama, I believe, is, is hated as well. Right. If you're outside the state of Alabama. Right. And uh, let's face it, Florida State with Jameis Winston, he's been a villain all year. Right. Some other people love them either. So I think yeah. the only team you really – I have a hard time hating Oregon. Um, I yeah. don't know if there is anything to, to not like other than maybe some of the gaudy uniforms they have. Yeah, it's, but, they're um, harmless. <laughs> no, it, it, it's, it's an interesting Final Four. It's going gonna, it's gonna to draw a lot of ratings. But I think it would have done that no matter who uh, – you know, who was playing the game. So right. I don't know if they got it right. I guess time will tell. We'll find out, you know, come yep. New Year's Day if they got it right or not. I mean, look, the point is people will be watching. I'll be watching. You'll be watching. And, and ultimately, that's that's what's important. All right, let's um, let's switch gears a second because it's um, the second season, the second part of the baseball season, the Hot Stove League. And I'm not even going to ask you what's happening up in Dodger Town because who knows that revolving door in that franchise. But a uh, team closer to you, in your division, the Cubs made a major move um, by getting John Lester. So now they have Lester and Madden. So as a Pirate fan, are you are you finally, after many, many, many years, a little worried about the Cubs? Yeah, I think I, I think there's reason for concern. Obviously, I mean the Cubs the Cubs have money to spend, you know, and they're look they they have a, a huge fan base that want, they want to win. Uh, they've got, I believe, now the manager to do it. And to go out and get Lester, that's a feather in their cap as well. And right. you have to, I mean, they're going to be a force to be reckoned with. Maybe not, again, I, mean, I think you and I talked about this one other time. Maybe not this year, but certainly down the road, uh, they're going to provide some challenges. So that division is stacking up as a fairly solid division. When you look up and down, you know, you have St. Louis, uh, Milwaukee, the Cubs obviously now a player in Pittsburgh. I think... Um, you know, it's in Cincinnati who can sleep on them. It's it's certainly um, going to be a, a challenge, and you know, I think getting a guy like Madden that makes it uh, that makes them automatically, I don't want to say contender, 
but automatically a formidable foe to everybody in that division. So right. it's going to be really interesting to watch. Toughest, toughest, toughest division in baseball. I think that's what it's shaping up to be. Would you agree? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And I think you know, you, you look back at the past, you know, few years, and it's been races down to the wire and teams slugging it out. And you, you know, you know, a couple of years ago, you had the Pirates and Reds. You know, three teams from that division make the playoffs. Right. Uh, so you know, St. Louis made a nice run uh, this year. I, I just think that. You know, there are some really good teams, really good managers, and now you add the Cubs to the mix. And like I said, they might, might not come next year, but down the road, they're going to be a contender and they're going to be a force to be reckoned with. So um, you have to be ready. And you have to be, if you're a fan of any of those other teams, you have to be prepared for what's what's around the corner. Right. Um, uh you know, this is the peril of live radio. I just lost my train of thought there. Uh, the Orioles um, have done pretty much bupkis um, in the hot stove league. And as a fan, there's panic since we've lost three major pieces from last year's playoff run, uh, Miller and Cruz and Marcakis. Um, are you hearing anything about your own Pirates? Are they in any hot stove rumors that you've heard? Are they planning on making any moves or are they set with who they have? I think, you know, I think what the Pirates do is, is they kind of sit back, wait and see what other teams do before they, they they're never, a, let's face it, they're never a major player. Right. They're never going to plunk down, you know, a whole ton of money for somebody. Now, they did just extend uh, Francisco Liriano three years, I think it's 39 mil. So that's that's a sizable contract for that team. Right. You know, they went out and they got they got A.J. Burnett back from Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. And, and that's mixed. That's getting mixed reviews in Pittsburgh because, you know, he didn't have the greatest season last year, but he was, from my understanding, he had a, hernia, a sports hernia that he, was, that he was pitching with a lot. And he's a good leader in the clubhouse. They obviously lost Russell Martin, but I think when you look at the money that the Blue Jays threw at, at Martin, there's no way the Pirates were going to match that. And to be honest with you, as a Pirates fan, I wouldn't want to see them match that because it was crazy money. So right. I think they sit back, they, they relax, they wait and see what happens. They've got a, a, a decent you know team. They're probably going to move uh, Pedro Alvarez to first base. Uh, we'll see how that plays out. You know they'll have uh, Josh Harrison at, at third. Um, I'm not sure what they do yet at short. Probably Jordy Mercer again. You know Walker at second base, and of course the outfield. Um, you know with Polanco. McCutcheon and Marte, uh, that's a that's a solid outfield. So there's some gaps, there's some holes on the team, but overall, I'm pleased with what they're doing, and I don't want to see them break the bank right. uh, for a guy who's, who's going to flame out after a year or two. I mean, the last few years, I mean, and correct me if I'm wrong, if it's even longer, but it seems like whatever holes you guys have, you just pluck someone out of your farm system or make a, a low-rent free agent signing, and, and it's business as usual. Yeah, and, and that's I think that's what they've done. Um, you know, these past you know these past couple of years where they have made the playoffs. Uh, you know, the AJ Burnett left; they didn't panic. Um, you know, this year Russell Martin leaves. I, I don't think they've made any panic moves yet. Uh, and I think you know overall you're going to have to certainly filling Russell Martin's shoes is, is a, a tough task. There's no question about it. Um, but I like the fact that they don't react. And, and overpay. As we know in sports, I think that happens a lot to teams, and right. it ends up coming back to bite them. Right. Because ha- they, they shoot so much money on one guy, uh, it's 
it's detrimental to the entire franchise. And it, and it happens whether it's, you know, baseball or, or football, especially with the salary cap. I think you, you see a lot of effects of that. Right. Happens way too much in D.C., I can tell you that, throwing good money after well, bad. Yeah, and I, I was just <laughs> going down that path with you. Um, you know, the, the Redskins, I think, are a, are a case in point of uh, spending too much on one guy, giving money to people who maybe don't deserve it. Right, and as a result, you you suffer the consequences, as you well know. Right, and 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 speaking of that, we um, we threw a lot of money at a now all used up your boy Ryan Clark, um, who we never should have let go in the first place. We thought, well, let's just bring him back now, and he can't play. He can run his mouth, uh, oh, but he yeah. but he can't yeah, play. Yeah. <laughs> so that's yeah, Clark is a, 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 a he's from Pittsburgh. He was always a big talker. Right, I don't know that he ever backed up the play. Did okay. Yeah. Um, now the guy they they got to replace him, Mike Mitchell, I don't think is, is much better. But uh, no, you're right, uh, and I think the Redskins have a habit of we have a uh, a relationship. I think of, of you guys taking former Steelers players. Antoine Randall L came comes to mind. <laughs> don't guy, I thought we were friends. A lot of money at. <laughs> I thought we were friends. Don't mention Antoine Randall L. <laughs> <laughs> you know the, the funny thing was that when he played in Pittsburgh. I thought there was a guy that, that had untapped potential, that, that they didn't use him properly. I mean, he threw a he threw a, a pass in Super Bowl forty that saved the Steelers, essentially, in that game. Right. But, you know, other than that, uh, it, it's tough to find highlight plays from Antoine Randall-L. Yes. Angel turn. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I feel for you because that's got to be tough to watch your team, your franchise, throw a pile of money at somebody that, that, that just never never seems to pay out. Or, or trade, you know, three first rounds and a second round pick for a guy who's um, who can't beat out Colt McCoy. Um, but sure. I, I want to stick with the Redskins for a second, at least former Redskins, and I'll ask you as a man who's who practices journalistic integrity, London Fletcher, uh, last week after, before the game against the, uh, if you can call it a game, against the Rams, called out Jim Hazlitt, defensive coordinator, um, and said he was a backstabber and said he would turn the 85 Bears into an average defensive team. He went after Jim Hazlitt's son. It was um, it was loathsome, to borrow a phrase from somebody I heard defining it. And I guess I want to ask you, is this emblematic of a team that's a total dumpster fire? I mean, can you imagine... If former Steeler greats Greg Lloyd or Kevin Green called out Dick LeBeau, I mean, it's one thing to say your defense is terrible. It's another thing to to make personal attacks. And I know Fletcher might be trying to advance his TV career, but can you ever imagine that happening on a franchise as stable as the, the Steelers? No, I really can't. You know, I mean, I think, first of all, I, I think, you know, it's unprofessional to do that. Twitter is, Twitter is wonderful. I enjoy it. It's great to... Um, Glean information as a journalist. I can get breaking news. I can get commentary. All sorts of things. It's also very dangerous that you can just go on and, and blast somebody. And I think we've seen that time and time again. Um, you know, because it's it's a way that you can voice your opinion without really having to uh, sit and stare at somebody face to face and do it. Um, but no, that's unprofessional. I don't know what the beef is uh, with Jim Hazlitt, but to go after him, to go after his son, bad form, I think. And, uh, you know, those those types of things do come back to haunt you in life. There's no question about it. Right. Can, and you see it, can you see it happening 
on a team like yours? I mean, do you really think this is something that bad teams no, go I, through this? I really can't. Even when guys have left, you know, under under not so great circumstances, and you can use a guy like James Harrison, for example, when he when he didn't have a contract and he went to the Bengals. You know, he, he said how much he, he missed the Steelers, how much he respected them, and sure enough, he's back in the fold this year. Right. So um, even former guys, I think there's a respect there. You know, even if they maybe didn't get along with Coach Tomlin or Coach LeBeau or Ben Roethlisberger or Troy Polamalu or whoever, I don't think they ever blast. You don't ever blast coaches. You don't ever blast former players because, as James Harrison found out, you never know when you're going to need that team to – kind of resurrect your career, you, you know, and I think uh, the Steelers are, are a great team because there's so much pride and tradition. I don't, I don't think that would ever happen with them. Right. You don't, you don't get personal. I mean, you can criticize coaching and play calling and player sure. performance, but you don't get personal. I mean, you know, do that on your own time. Don't do that. When you're on TV, I'm uh, joined, of course, by the managing editor of the Center County Gazette and good friend of mine, Chris Morelli. Let's um, stick with football. As you look across what is just a bloody and bruising um, division you've got there with Pittsburgh and Cleveland and Cincinnati and Baltimore, tomorrow is the dawning, I guess, of the Johnny Manziel era in Cleveland. As a Steeler fan, as any any fan of any team in that division besides Cleveland, are you breathing a sigh of relief, or is Cleveland going to make some sort of a run with offensive coordinator Kyle Shanahan and Johnny Manziel? Well, it's tough to say. I don't know that we've seen enough of Manziel to know what he's capable of. I don't think his college game obviously translates to the pros, but we'll see. I think if you're Cleveland, I'm not quite sure, and I know uh, Brian Hoyer has had his moments, Right. I'm not sure quite certain why you make the change just because, you know, I, I'm, I'm a firm believer you dance with who brought you. And, right. and the reason the Browns were in contention at all was because of, of Foyer. So I would not have benched him. I know he's had a couple bad weeks. I would not have yanked him from Johnny Manziel just yet. But I think they're trying, you know, they, they obviously are in the playoff chase. They have a huge game or a, a huge series of games in the last few weeks. But, um, I'm not scared of Johnny Manziel. Chances are the Steelers aren't going to see the Browns, even if they both would get. I don't think. I don't think there's a scenario where they both get into the playoffs. Um, but it's it's hard to believe they're going to be better than they were because of a change of quarterback. But again, I'm not. I'm not Coach Petten. I don't know the ins and outs of what's going on. I will say Hoyer has looked rough the past few weeks. Right. So it's a kind of wait and see type of thing. If I'm if I'm a betting guy, I would bet against Johnny Manziel just because I don't think I, I don't think his style is going to work in the NFL. Right. I think I think ultimately too, it's it's yours and Baltimore's division to really lose. I mean, we'll see in the last few games um, if we haven't been confirmed already that that the cream, the class of that division is you guys and Baltimore. And Baltimore always gets better as the season goes on. They're not a team you can ever yeah. say. Well, they're out. And Cincinnati, if they somehow manage to sneak into the playoffs, they'll, they'll flame out in the first round like they always do. Um, not, not much to fear there. All right, um, last thing for you. Let me get you out of here on this. Um, we were talking about Twitter a few minutes ago. You said after the Cardinals-St. Uh, Louis game this past Thursday that the, the Cardinals were a quarterback away from being serious contenders and they should 
trade now for Ben Roethlisberger, who, of course, has a great relationship with Bruce Arians. Now, are you just saying that to be funny, or is there some insight you have that perhaps the Steelers would be um, amenable to trading Big Ben? Well, I don't know. I don't, no, I, I don't have any insight. I do know, you know, I covered the team for a season when I was working in uh, a Western PA outlet called the Johnstown Tribune Democrat. Um, I don't have any inside juice, but I do know that Ben and Bruce had a very uh, strong relationship. I don't know that Ben has that relationship with Todd Haley. You know, the Steelers have been a 500 team since Todd Haley came on board. I still don't understand why they, they forced Bruce Arians out. That's a, that's a conversation for another day. But I do know, you know, if if the Steelers decide that, that you know, Ben's last year was contract is next season, if they don't extend him, uh, I would think they try to, to deal him or I don't think they let him walk for nothing. Let's put it that way. Right. Um, and I'm sure the Cardinals, even though they just extended Carson Palmer, who has a yet another torn ACL, I'm sure they that Bruce Arians would welcome Ben Roethlisberger uh, with open arms, as as I think a, a good coach would. Right. Um, I, I think I think Ben remains a Steeler for life, but that's not to say you know the Roonies are notoriously cheap. I wouldn't be surprised if if something transpired where uh, you know they they blame. Let's say the Steelers don't make it this year. That's three straight non-playoff seasons. Wow. Perhaps they try to blame Big Ben and uh, force him out, but that, anything's possible. You, you just you, in the NFL, you never know. Right, three three straight playoff misses for you guys is almost unheard of. Um, by the way, the, you have your fire trucks and police cars. I have a poodle that was just wailing in the background. So if that's what that was, it wasn't somebody being strangled. There's no life at peril here. It was just a dog who's obviously doesn't agree with your opinions. Um, as I said, unheard of for the the Steelers to go three straight years. And Ben wasn't behind the forcing out of Bruce Arians, right? I mean, that's his boy. No, no. Ben, ben publicly said he wanted Bruce to remain, you know, the offensive coordinator. And, I, and again, I'm not sure why why that went down. Things have worked out certainly for Bruce Arians. Uh, right. But not so, much, not so much for the Steelers, who have been, you know, a 500 a 500 club since he left town. I'm not a big Todd Haley guy. Right. I've never been. A, I was never a fan of his when he was uh, in Arizona or Kansas City. I'm not sure what the Steelers saw in him, but he's there and he's he's the OC. So we'll see if he's around next year. And I think you know it's a situation where they might have to make a choice. Is it do they make a change of quarterback and get someone in who fits Todd Haley's scheme? Or do they make a change of coordinator and get someone in for the you know the last several years of Ben's career who who works better with him? I don't know. I don't know what they do. I'm not sure what the Rooney's uh, train of thought is there. Right. Well, I will tell you this. I don't know what they're thinking in Arizona, but you have a choice between an aging aging i mean he's 33 34 years old i mean you know for, for two guys in their 40s to say someone is aging is funny but an aging ben roethlisberger versus a gimpy and even older i believe carson palmer was drafted a couple years before roethlisberger the choice in roethlisberger and palmer seems to be a no-brainer you would figure out a way to get out from under the palmer contract to bring roethlisberger in um and i guess you know that's one thing to look out for as they go into the the off season He's yeah, he's Chris Morelli, managing editor of the Center County Gazette. You can follow him at, at Chris Morelli on Twitter, which we just bashed mercilessly, and now we're telling you to follow him. 
Um, but that's okay because it's it's you know it's our show, not yours. So uh, thank you very much as always. Um, happy holidays and uh, go spend some money at uh, a store that we can't mention because they haven't paid us to. Thank you for joining me again. All right, no problem. We'll talk to you later. All right, bye. It's always a pleasure to talk to Chris Morelli. Always has some good insights, and we appreciate him being on the show. The Royal We, of course. We appreciate his efforts to join us when he can, because, again, Lord knows you enjoy hearing uh, somebody else's voice besides mine. Hey, you know what I forgot to do at the beginning of the show, Graham? I forgot to talk about how you can get in touch with me, because that's what it's all about, the reaching out, the people business. The Becoming Friends, radio friends with all of you. Uh, at Bitter and Rage and the Twitter machines, don't be afraid to give me a follow. Don't be afraid to say something you want to hear me talk about or, you know, send me your hate mail. Uh, bitternessandrage at gmail.com. And if you want this fine audio presentation delivered to your doorstep each and every, you know, week or two or so, iTunes, friends, Bitterness and Rage Show on iTunes. Subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. Leave a nice comment. It would give me much nachis if you would do that. Okay, I'll tell you who doesn't have nachis. Um, bad sports teams seem to breed not just on the field turmoil, but off the field as well. And bad teams, as I talked about um, with Chris, bad teams seem to engender these kinds of stories. So I want to talk about two two teams that are, well, one who's been bad for years, my own beloved Washington Redskins, and another team that seems to be cratering over the last couple of years, the Chicago Bears. And not going to talk about on-the-field performance, but rather off-the-field comments, just stirring up more needless controversy. London Fletcher, last week before the Rams-Redskins game, said on TV, and I can't recall the network, but whatever network it is, um, doesn't really matter at this point, and they haven't paid me to promote them. Hi there. Um, London Fletcher said that Jim Hazlitt would turn the 85 Bears defense into an average defense. He called him a backstabber and essentially questioned him, his ability as a defensive coordinator, and was did it very personally, very personal attacks, very loathsome way to handle yourself. Uh, Jim Hazlitt's son, Jim Hazlitt, the defensive coordinator of the Redskins, London Fletcher, former Redskins uh, inside linebacker. Christian um, Hazlitt, Jim Hazlitt's son, took to Twitter to defend his father, and London Fletcher, in a step down from the loathsomeness of attacking his former defensive coordinator, went on Twitter and said, your father ruins people's careers. Now, we can discuss at another time the lack of integrity by London Fletcher in in resorting to this, a man who last year at this time was playing um, for the Redskins. The, this attack on uh, Jim Hazlitt seems unnecessary in the way that he did it. You can question um, what Hazlitt is doing. You can say the defense is underperforming. You can say I don't understand the coaching moves, but you don't resort to name-calling. And I know he's probably trying to further his TV career. He's trying to cause a stir, get people to watch, um, get people angry. But that's no way to go about business. But we're going to hold that thought. This is more about this doesn't happen unless you're involved somehow in a team that's going nowhere, in a team that has infighting and, and, and sniping at each other, and teams that are just sinking 
historically bad teams, organizations that you mock at, you mock, not mock at, laugh at and mock, those are the teams that seems to have, seem to have these problems. So I take um, another team that's recently fallen on hard times, although historically, um, like the Redskins, one of the, uh, the prouder franchises, the Chicago Bears. And the Chicago, there was a, the NFL Network reported within the last couple of weeks um, that somebody anonymously, there's the, the dreaded anonymous team source said that there is buyer's remorse on the contract extension that the Bears gave to their quarterback, Jay Cutler. Um, and then it turns out that the, the source, one of the sources, after he was busted, of course, after denying that he was the source, it turns out the source was the offensive coordinator, Aaron Cromer. Now, again, these kinds of, this kind of foolishness doesn't happen on good teams. Your offensive coordinator is not going to say to the NFL network that my team, the team that employs the teams that the team that writes my checks, has buyer's remorse on the contract of the starting quarterback, and then you deny it, of course, and then you get busted. And it's always nice when someone gets busted and then apologizes. The tear-filled apology from Aaron Cromer. It always sounds so disingenuous. When you deny something, then you get busted, and then I'm terribly sorry. I mean, I've seen enough in a previous career of people who are found guilty or liable of something after pleading their innocence, and then, oh, I'm so, so sorry. Where was the sorry when the report came out? Where was the sorry before you were busted as the anonymous source? And what I like even more is when Cromer was interviewed... Um, during the weekly news conference on Friday uh, that they have, the Bears have over at Hallis Hall, he repeated this phrase, which essentially, let's see if you can crack the code on this phrase. On the apology to his team, he said, we're a group and a unit, we'll work it out together, and the rest will be handled internally, we'll work through that. Then he was asked whether the Bears knew that he was one of the leaks, and he said, I feel like we're going to handle this internally. The rest will be between us. The team and myself and Jay and myself and the offense will handle it that way. And then on should the players, he was asked, this is Cromer, if the players should trust him again. He said, we'll handle that internally and we'll go from there. We'll handle that internally and we'll go from there is the equivalent of no comment. What he's saying is when he says I'm going to handle it internally, it means I'm screwed. That my credibility is mud. My name is done. How can they trust me? How can you trust a coach who backstabs his own players and then doesn't have the sack, the guts, to say it was me? How do you trust a former player who undermines a defensive coordinator who, by the way, in Fletcher's last couple seasons when he was a shell, a shadow of his former self, protected him? He didn't go out publicly and say, this guy stinks, I want to get rid of him. He said, he's our leader and he's our captain and we're behind him. So when you have coaches taking shots at their own players and when you have former players taking shots at their former coaches and current coaches of the team, that doesn't happen on a team like the Steelers. It doesn't happen on a team like the Ravens. It doesn't happen on the Patriots, the Broncos, the Colts. Winning, successful, professional organizations do not have these kinds of issues. 
these kinds of childish, immature, shut up, sit down, don't say another word kind of issues. It's just bad teams. When bad teams become toxic, that toxicity spreads beyond just the practice field, beyond just the stadium, beyond the players, beyond the locker room, beyond the offices. No one is immune from the toxic touch, I guess, of the badness of your organization. So we're going to continue to see these kinds of stories for bad teams. And all we can say is we'll handle it internally and the rest will work itself out. Um, I have another story here, and this is not a bad football team story, but it's another black eye, it seems like, for the National Football League and the ginger hammer himself. Thank you, Steve Zabin. Uh, Roger Goodell. Uh, more trouble for the Shield. I'm not sure how much run this is getting, but the New York Times ran an article about the Buffalo Bills cheerleaders um, suing or attempting to sue the Buffalo Bills for... Um, I don't know how you would put this. I guess um, poor workplace environment, not sexual harassment so much, but just the way they're treated. And I want to just bring some of the things to the attention of you, the greatest listeners in the world, that what's happening, the problem in the NFL is not just the players, and it's not just abuse, uh, domestic abuse, child abuse, whatever kind of abuse. It's not um, trying to run through LAX airport and after threatening them with a bomb or whatever it was that that Alden Smith of the Niners did it's it's even the cheerleaders are not immune from what's happening in the NFL it's just more bad news for a man for Roger Goodell for a man who can see the end of his career rapidly approaching it will end the end of his career as the NFL commissioner so um, these are just some of the things from the New York Times article this is Michael Powell um, in the New York Times saying that um, the Buffalo Jills, great name, by the way. Don't you just love Buffalo Jills, embraceable use, E-W-E-S. Um, the Buffalo Jills were ordered frequently to warm up in a frigid, grubby stadium storeroom that smelled of gasoline. The cheerleaders had to pay $650 for their uniforms and had to do jumping jacks to see if flesh jiggled. Creepy. Um, they once were required to attend a golf tournament for sponsors. Um, the high rollers paid cash for something called flips for tips in which the bikini clad cheerleaders did backflips off the back of the golf cart and then men placed bids to see which women would ride around in their golf carts and one little detail that went unnoticed according to Mr. Powell of the New York Times the carts had no extra seats These the cheerleaders clung to the back of back or much more to the point quote were invited to sit in the laps of these men um so the lawsuit apparently has angered many in the community in buffalo so that's a little bit of an out of whack sort of priority they're more upset that the cheerleaders would be suing than they are about the treatment um, of the cheerleaders to try out for cheerleading you have to pay fifty dollars just for the quote honor and thrill as the buffalo bills put it of being one of the Buffalo Jills. The team dictated everything from the color of their hair to how they handled their menstrual cycle. The contractor, and apparently the cheerleaders are hired, the team hires a contractor to find the cheerleaders. That's gonna be important in a few minutes. The contractor required that they visit a sponsor who was a plastic surgeon. 
The plastic surgeon offered a small discount if they opted for breast augmentation and other services. Large breasts, however, were not a condition of non-paid employment. Somebody called the turkeys that I talked about in the last show. Maybe they can be Buffalo Jill cheerleaders. So when the team, oh, and the, by the way, the new owners of the the Buffalo Bills are big donors to uh, the New York governor, Andrew Cuomo, um, contribute a lot of money to rehabilitate the stadium. Um, and so... Now that they've gotten this lawsuit, which I think this lawsuit came out over the summer, but it's gotten very little to no attention nationally, the the Bills disbanded the cheerleaders. So instead of trying to fix what ailed them, they just disbanded the cheerleaders. Um, now, here's, oh, by the way, even though they disbanded the cheerleaders and claim no, that they're just, they hire a contractor, it's not an NFL thing, they still on their website keep the Buffalo Jills calendar release video. Because, you know, men are apes and they like those kinds of things. Now, the National Football League, and here's where I'm kind of going with all this. The National Football League, every time they have a chance to handle something the right way, to crawl out from the ooze that they create for themselves, they always seem to fumble, to use a football term, don't they? They always seem to, to come up just short of the goal line. So the NFL um, had little to say on the question of this Buffalo Bills or Buffalo Jills lawsuit and Goodell said I have no knowledge he said of the Jill's selection training compensation or pay practices so once again he says I know nothing I got nothing he's Sergeant Schultz from Hogan's Heroes I know nothing I see nothing and then of course like what seems like five minutes after this, a contract surfaces that laid out the terms of the Buffalo Jills employment. And guess whose signature was on it? That's right, kids. That silly goose, Roger Goodell. A lawyer for Goodell says that the signature is affixed by a stamp. Why do I find that hard to believe? That Roger Goodell says to his people, here's a stamp of my name. Just go ahead and stamp whatever you want, including a check giving you piles and piles of money. So once again, the NFL has proven that when there's the first hint of trouble, that they're going to run in the wrong direction. They're going to handle it improperly, get busted, and then get ready for some quarterback-like backpedaling, I'm sure. So keep stay tuned. Keep your eyes open for what happens with this cheerleader lawsuit. And that brings us... Another awkward transition, a hallmark of the Bitterness and Rage show, to the QSR Spotlight, which is always is sponsored by the Junk Food Guy. He was on our last show. He was fantastic. You can hear more of him at the Nosh Show. Make sure you subscribe on iTunes to the Nosh Show. Uh, at Junk Food Guy, give him a follow on your Twitter machine and junkfoodguy.com to read all of his reviews and such of just piles and piles of deliciousness. Okay, so we're going to start uh, with Kettle Brand Potato Chips. They're one of my favorite brands, actually. No, they don't pay to be a sponsor, but I'm giving them a freebie. they got some new chips coming out. Uh, pepperoncini, red curry, and roasted garlic. As much as a purist as I am, uh, and I just like plain old potato chips, i got to tell you, I'm intrigued by the roasted garlic. Um, but enough already with the potato chip flavors. As fabulous as this sounds... Enough is enough. Um, but I say that, and then I'm going to now contradict myself and say maybe enough isn't enough. Who knows? Um, at least they're not peppermint bark flavored or pumpkin spice flavored. But be on the lookout for pepperoncini, red curry, 
roasted garlic. Uh, Hershey's, just in time for the holiday season, unlike Thanksgiving and fall in general, where they have everything is pumpkin spice this and apple pie that. I do like this time of year because there's a lot of peppermint, and I do love me some peppermint. Um, Hershey's has come out with their peppermint bark bells. They are essentially Hershey kisses with a wad of white chocolate on the top and candy cane sprinkles or peppermint sprinkles inside. Um, you can read all the review of the Hershey's peppermint bark on the junkfoodguy.com website. He happened to be blogging about this recently. Um, they sound delicious. And again, unlike the pumpkin spice stuff, worth your time. So Hershey Kiss, blob of white chocolate, little peppermint flavored sprinkles inside. Delicious. What can be wrong about that? Um, Dunhumby, a customer service company, announced uh, this past week their top 10 list in its customer centricity index. So if you're wondering what fast food joint has the best uh, customer service, ranked on menu assortment Price, overall experience, feedback, promotions, loyalty, and communications for restaurants. Uh, these are what uh, Don Humby calls the seven pillars of customer centricity, which I guess just sounds a fancy name for saying your customer experience. Number one was In-N-Out Burger. So those of you listening on the West Coast, congratulations. Those on the East Coast, it's too bad, man. In-N-Out Burger is pretty fabulous. Chick-fil-A is number two. Uh, Culver's 3, Subway 4, Whataburger 5, Sonic 6, RB7, Popeye's 8, Hardee's 9, and rounding out the top 10 is McDonald's. More on them in a moment. Uh, TGI Fridays, by the way, was the top 10 of the casual dining experience. Um, the, the fast food places or QSR, quick service spotlight, or quick service restaurant, uh, that was the In-N-Out Burger list. So the casual dining, TGI Fridays, etc., etc. Now, I bring that up because McDonald's, not coincidentally, around the same time as announced that they're going to be changing their menu. They're going to be offering menus with fewer ingredients uh, as it moves to, quote, speed up service, bolster sales, and offer consumers personalized options to compete better with places like Subway and Chipotle. And they haven't announced what those changes are in any specificity, but they did say this. The simplified menu boards will now offer one quarter pounder with cheese instead of four. And one premium chicken sandwich compared with three, and one snack wrap compared to three. So, McDonald's, I'm not sure what you're doing there, but offering less quarter pounders and less chicken sandwiches are not going to make your customers happier. Why don't you, why don't you bring back the chicken selects? You broke my heart when you got rid of those McDonald's. Broke my heart. Another restaurant or another food and beverage organization that's trying to improve themselves is Starbucks, which it's liquid crack, folks. I'm not sure why they need to improve themselves, but their highlights recently were released from the five-year plan, so between now and 2019. By 2019, uh, Starbucks is going to be offering the Starbucks, quote, evening experience. Now, pay close attention, my friends. Uh, the regular food and beverage menu will always be available with the addition of savory small plates, beer, wine, and desserts. Now, this menu includes, and remember, they're a coffee place. So this, this Starbucks evening experience menu for a coffee place, again, uh, it's a coffee place. But okay, 
let me let me back off my anger just a bit. Uh, chicken, mushroom, and sausage flatbread, artichoke, and goat cheese flatbread, Parmesan crusted chicken skewers, blueberry and apricot preserves plate, grilled vegetable plate, bacon wrapped dates with balsamic glaze, and truffle macaroni and cheese. Now I'm all for all of that, especially the uh, bacon and the truffle mac and cheese. But may I remind everyone, it's a coffee place. And the more they spread themselves thin, the less attention they're going to pay to the coffee. So I'm not convinced this is the best of all worlds. This is the best five-year plan. A lot of lists, even though I said earlier that I hated lists. A lot of lists in today's uh, QSR Spotlight. Let's see, because, you know, it's the end of the year, so everybody's got their list. The best of 2014. And the next podcast will probably have something cheesy like that. I don't know. But, you know, I love the cliched. So, probably. Uh, let's see. Convenience Store Products Magazine put out their Hot 100, what they call the Hot 100, uh, the top retailer-requested products of 2014 in the consumer store industry. Uh, number one on the list, and I'll give you the, well, let me give you the top five. Um, Starburst Sorbet Bars, delicious. The Big AZ Bacon Addict Burger. Now, I've never heard of this before, but if it's bacon and it's addict and it's a burger... What's not to love? Um, number three was the Butterfinger Peanut Butter Cups. Those are delicious. Two, the tradition, the cowtails. At every counter, at every gas station, every convenience store, the cowtails are number two. And number one, and this was horrifying, the Day and Night Bites Breakfast Calzones were the number one requested item of 2014 by retailers. Breakfast calzones, day and night. It sounds horrifying on so many levels so I can't imagine why that is what they're clamoring for in the retail establishments all right uh, let us finish things now as you let the thought of breakfast calzones rattle around in your head let's finish things off with the dope of the week and today's dope of the week is a heartwarming story of competition of childhood of video games and of being a real real dope Cowboys quarterback Orlando Skandrick, in a very tense moment of a football contest, suggested running onside kicks and going for two points with a lead. Again, a very tension-filled moment, a tension-filled game. We have the lead, got to make sure they don't come back, two-point conversion, and let's do some onside kicks. Now, who is the opponent, you ask? This is a tense NFC's battle between the Eagles and the Cowboys? No. Playoff game from last year? No. It's Madden 2015. Okay. So it's a video game. And who is he playing? Another adult, perhaps? Oh, no. No, 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 no. Orlando Skandrick is playing a child, and not just any elementary school child, but an elementary school child in Medical City Children's Hospital in Dallas. So the picture I'm painting for you is Lando Skandrick goes to visit a sick child in the hospital. He wants to play Madden with him, and he beats him. Not only beats him, but in humiliating fashion by kicking an onside kick, a surprise onside kick with the lead, and going for two points, I guess, every time they scored a touchdown. Now, your reaction... Maybe slightly different than Orlando Skandrick's. Orlando Skandrick's reaction was, and I quote, 
uh, as he said, nothing is going to be given to you, so I don't think I should have given, I should have gave him anything. I made him better, if anything. I wasn't teaching any lessons. When you play a competitive game, you've got to expect to be competitive. I'm shaking my head right now, if you, for those of you not watching on the, the telecast, on the simulcast. Yeah, you have to be competitive. And in life, you don't want to teach people that everything's going to be handed to them. But may I remind you, as you walk in and then out of the children's hospital, that perhaps not running up the score on a kid whose life is difficult enough because he's in the hospital, maybe that should have crossed your mind. What lesson are we teaching there? What part of... Um, charity and altruism and helping other people is the let's humiliate you and crush you as if life weren't bad enough let me make you let me make a mockery out of the spirit of competition by running up the score on a kid in the hospital so draw your own conclusions folks but Orlando Skandrick no matter how you spin this or no matter how you backpedal this in a Roger Goodellian kind of way it just looks bad my friend bad 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 I mean, no, no, you guys are nine and four, so, you know, appreciate the competitive spirit that you bring to everything in life, but it's a kid in the hospital. So suck on that, Orlando Skandrick. So, Orlando Skandrick, for being the worst, the worst bringer of charity, the worst example of the holiday spirit in the NFL, and that's a big, big honor considering what's happening in the NFL. You, Orlando Skandrick of the Dallas Cowboys, are the Bitterness and Rage Show Dope of the Week. All right, my friends, it's been a steaming pile of audio goodness as usual. I'm looking at the clock, and I've once again gone way past my allotted time. I um, want to thank all of you for listening. want to thank uh, Chris Morelli for joining me today and providing hours and hours of entertainment, although it's not really hours and hours of entertainment. I'll provide you with hours and hours of entertainment when you listen to this for the second, third, fourth, fifth time. Uh, remember, you can reach out and grab... Metaphorically, the Bitterness and Rage show at Bitter and Rage on your Twitter machines, bitternessandrage at gmail.com. iTunes, friends, go to the tunes, subscribe to this fine, fine program that I'm doing. Leave a nice comment, say something friendly and warm and not Orlando Scandricky, something more within the holiday spirit. Uh, please remember, don't, always, don't ever forget, the Bitterness and Rage show is. Uh, you know what I'm going to say. It's a Mia Soti Cologne production. And see you on the other side, Ray. Right?